Okay, so if you're new, my name is Drew Simpson. This is Skip Bowersox. Hi. We're both pastors here at Church on the Rock. Uh, welcome. I want you to feel at home with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would love to know you're here. So if uh, just letting us know you're here. Also, if you want to get in contact with us, whether it's a comment, prayer request, a question, anything, the absolute best way to do that is to grab an, a welcome card over the info table after the service. You fill that out and give it in. And when you do that, you get a free gift. It's from a ministry we support in India that helps women who have been trafficked. It's a fantastic opportunity, and you can hear more about that if you fill out a welcome card. Um, and also, you know, every, every week I'm always... Um, Always so happy to be here to celebrate the gospel, to celebrate mm-hmm. Jesus, to learn the word, and to connect together. And so I think we're, uh, we're going to do that. And we have a word from our very own Aaron Weiser. You want, we couldn't give him a hand. <laughs> Shall we pray? Yeah. Which one He's of you is going to pray? I'll pray. You're yeah. both going to pray? I'll pray. Thank you, Lord, for Aaron Weiser, the gift that he is to us. As a church family, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, anoint him to teach now as you've already anointed him in his study, and we just pray that we would be receptive to that, and uh, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I can take that from you. Oh, man, there's so much going on, so much stuff. I realized, actually, just now... I've wondered this. I've wondered why I enjoy announcements, because typically I would not enjoy a whole bunch of back-to-back announcements. I realized this morning that there's so much testimony and teaching all sandwiched into the announcements. It's fantastic. Uh, I want to let you know, some of you are thinking, I still don't like announcements. That's fine. To each his own. Um, I want you to be thinking in particular During this season right now, as we come into the winter months, I want you, my desire for you, our prayer as leaders for you, is that you would make intentional decisions for your growth. Growth is going to cost you something. And if you would make intentional decisions to involve yourself in opportunities for your growth, uh, you will not leave that disappointed entirely. Uh, There are so many opportunities for your growth here at Church on the Rock that our uh, just incredible uh, staff and leadership have thought through, prayed through, and put together uh, for you to benefit from. So I would strongly encourage you, whether it's connecting opportunities over the coming months, training opportunities, or service opportunities, uh, that you be intentional in looking at those opportunities and choosing the best opportunities for your growth where you're at in your life right now. Game? All right, go. Do it. Let's do it. I feel like I haven't taught in a while. I kind of missed you guys. Uh, This morning, I am going to be, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a different uh, deal this morning. This is going to be more of a talk. And much of the application of this talk you're going to have to figure out on your own. Oftentimes when I teach, I will summarize sort of the points of application in nice little points that show on the screen. And I do that because from an educational standpoint, it helps us uh, sort of hold on to those truths, right? To get a hold of it. 
this morning, uh, Skip mentioned this last week, each year after we do our Covenant Renewal Sunday, Skip and I both get one week to talk about whatever we want to talk about. Usually we stick with the scriptures as far as teaching through the story, and occasionally I get to decide what my topic is, and this morning is one of those times. So this is something that I'm, what I'm covering this morning is something uh, that has uh, been on my heart. It's some thoughts that have been bouncing around in my brain. And this is not just some things that I've been thinking about in isolation. This actually has to do with uh, many conversations that I've had with many of you over the last couple of years. I will say this as well, that uh, pulling together this teaching for this morning was been quite a bit more challenging uh, for me than I've had in quite a while. So I'm going to do my best to talk through some ideas, and then you're going to have to go home and figure out what to do about it. Uh, if you're in house church tonight, uh, your house church would be a fantastic place for you to figure that out. What do we do about this? What do we think about this? So I'm going to set the table, and it'll be up to you to kind of uh, serve your own portion. Sound like a plan? Is anyone on board? All right, here we go. Many years ago, a buddy of mine uh, by the name of Ryan, uh, him and I went to high school together. Just after high school, uh, he was on a commercial fishing boat, and uh, he told me this story later because I was not with him. Uh, he was fishing on a commercial fishing boat, a seining uh, operation, and they had made a set, and it was a very large set, and because there were so many fish in the net, the corks that hold the net afloat were beginning to sink. And of course, if the corks sink, then the fish can escape the, the net, right? You guys know about this? Yeah. Anyways, so as they kind of closed the gear up and uh, the bag got too tight and the corks began to sink, uh, the, the guy that Ryan was fishing for, uncharacteristic of a fishing boat captain, got very frantic <laughs> and began uh, shouting instructions. And he looked at Ryan, he was up on the flybridge, and he looked down at Ryan and shouted to him, put the bubble in the water. As Ryan's telling me this story, he said, I've never in my life heard that phrase. There was no reference point for me that, that would make any sense of what it meant to put the bubble in the water. And so I continued to look at him, hoping that he would offer me clues, and he continued to just increase his volume and repeat the same phrase, put the bubble in the water. And so Ryan says, I didn't want to disappoint my captain. I had no idea what he was talking about, so I just decided I would fake it, and I said, all right, the bubble is in the water. which actually silenced his captain. He looked at him with confusion. Does anyone know what that means, put the bubble in the water? Anyone? He was talking about the Zodiac, the Zodiac which was up on top of the flying bridge. Put the small little inflatable vessel in the water so that we can hold the corks up. <clears throat> um, 
this is what I want to do this morning. Uh, some of you may be in a place where you are struggling to understand what it is that's going on in regards to God's involvement in your life. And there have been times, maybe recent, where you have maybe felt a little bit lost. What I want to do this morning um, is I want to sort of back up a little bit and look, uh, look at and discuss the bigger picture of God's involvement in your life. Some of you have sat in this room on a Sunday morning and you've heard me say things that make no sense to you from your vantage point or from your reference point. I'm not even sure what that's talking about or what that would mean or how I would act on that. For some of you, the discussions that we have are very new to you. It's a new language. What I want to do this morning is I want to give some very big picture context. So, I'm going to set the stage, and then I want to address the issue that I want to address this morning, and then I want to look at its impact on you, its impact on me, and then we'll land with my key passage. Here we go. First, let me set the stage. What was the mission of Jesus on the earth? What was the mission of Jesus during his time on the earth? What was his purpose? Well, there's actually a couple of times when Jesus, during his ministry, and it's recorded for us in the Gospels, stated his purpose. In fact, he stated it a couple of slightly different ways. John 18, 37, for this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. So part of Jesus' mission or his purpose on the earth was to reveal the truth. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So that's an expansion. So he comes into the world to bear witness to the truth, but not only to bear witness to the truth, he comes into the world to seek and save that which was lost. There's another passage in John that kind of brings the two together, John 12, 46. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So Jesus, who is the light, who is the truth, he comes into the world and in revealing the truth about good and evil, he extends an invitation, a rescuing invitation to come into the light, to be saved, right? That's his purpose on the earth. To bear witness to the truth, to shed light on good and evil, and to rescue those who desire to be rescued from the darkness and into the light. So what was the mission of Jesus on the earth? To seek and to save. Now, in our time today, we know, and I don't have a ton of time to go into the details of this. You can check uh, the first chapter of Acts, among other places, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We know that now that the Holy Spirit coming into the world has supercharged this mission. 
In other words, the Holy Spirit, in agreement with the mission of Jesus on the earth, has come into our lives, into our hearts, and supernaturally enables us to accomplish Jesus' mission on the earth, to bear witness to the truth, to reveal light and dark, and to rescue those who would be rescued. Second question, what are you doing on the earth? And I actually don't mean like what is your mission, I mean, what is the substance of your activities on the earth? I would suggest that most of you spend most of your time with two activities, your work and your relationships. Is that fair? I mean, besides Netflix. Work and relationships, right? In fact, these are the two noble endeavors, some of you have heard me discuss, assigned to mankind in the garden. You will have work and you will have relationships. And most of my life and most of your life consists of activities pertaining to one or both of those two things, work and relationships. That's what we're doing In the context of work and relationships, how do I then join with what Jesus is doing? What is Jesus doing? He's testifying to the truth, he's revealing good and evil, and he's inviting those in the darkness to come to the light, he's rescuing. How do I, in my work and in my relationships, join with what he is doing? Well, Jesus gives us an answer for that. He gives us additional insight, also speaking to his purpose. Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus says, let me, let me illuminate more to you what my purpose is. I came to serve, not to be served. That's my mission. That's my purpose. This, of course, gives context to the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart and that you would love others with that same love. How do you do that? As a servant, pursuing the benefit of others. In my relationships, and through my work, if I am going to join with Jesus in serving others, it means that I have made it my highest priority through my work and in my relationships to be a source of blessing rather than a recipient of blessing. It means that I am not seeking in my work and uh, through my relationships ultimately to accumulate blessing, but I seek to distribute blessing. You understand the difference? That I am not wholly given to gathering for myself, but I am wholly given to giving, providing to others. Jesus says, I came to serve not to be served. So I, through my work, and you through your work, 
I through my relationships and you through your relationships can join in the rescue mission of Jesus by taking on the position of the servant like Jesus did and making it your mission in life to pursue again through your work and relationships the benefit of others. And in serving others, the greatest service that I can provide is to bring others into relationship with God. This is an eternal service. We see that Jesus served in practical ways. He served practical needs. And Jesus also served eternal needs. In fact, it was his capacity and his willingness to address practical needs that gave him credibility in speaking to eternal needs. So he served in small ways, he fed hungry people, he addressed their illnesses, and in doing so, he was granted by those same people the voice to speak to, to serve their eternal need. our missions conference coming up that they were just talking about it. That's why we do this missions conference, is so that you can intersect with and see new opportunities to serve. Many of the people that come who will be here next weekend, their primary work is to serve practical needs, and yet in serving practical needs, they have opportunity to serve eternal needs. So are you tracking with me so far? This commitment to follow the example of Jesus by joyfully serving others motivated by love is the means by which the kingdom of God, that is the authority of Jesus on the earth is established. When I serve Jenny Weiser, and I make it my highest goal in that relationship to give, not to receive, I join with God in serving her practical and eternal needs. And in doing so, God's kingdom, the authority of Jesus, is established in my marriage because his will is done there. When you, in your place of work, make it your highest priority to serve by giving a benefit rather than receiving a benefit, you join with God in serving others and God's kingdom, the authority of Jesus, the reign of Christ is established in your life, in your place of work. So through service, in the context of my work and relationships, I join with Jesus in his loving mission to rescue those who are lost. This is true for all of you, no matter your place of work, no matter your kind of work. This is true for all of you in all of your relationships, no matter the nature of those relationships. You are called to follow the example of Jesus and become a servant. So, 
I want to ask you a couple of sort of rhetorical questions, and so this is a large group. I'm not expecting you to answer me right now. What does God need from you to accomplish his mission on the earth? What does God need from you to accomplish his saving mission on the earth? Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven on the earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. What does God need from you to accomplish his mission, his rescue mission on the earth? Nothing. Do you think that you have the capacity to stall the plan of the sovereign God of the universe on the earth? No. We have not been invested with such a capacity. God's power and purposes are infinitely greater than you or I. He has not rested his mission on your obedience. God's going to accomplish his mission. So God doesn't need us to accomplish his mission. What then is the currency of our participation? In other words, okay, he doesn't need me, but what if I wanted to join him? What if I wanted to be a part of this mission? What if I was motivated by this, this rescuing mission of bringing those in the darkness into the light by serving others? What if I want to be a part of this? How can I become a part of this mission? Well, the currency for participation is whatever we give in service, whether we give our time, whether we give our resources, we give our abilities, our talents. Anything that you have to give is the currency of your participation. It's your buy-in to the plan of God. Thirdly, this is my third rhetorical question. What is the cost of your participation? If you say, okay, I want to do this. I know God doesn't need me, but I love God. I want to be doing what he's doing. I want to join with him. I want to walk with him. I want to follow the example of his son. I want to be a servant in every context. What is the cost? This is where it gets dicey, and this is actually what I want to address this morning. There is a large group of our brothers and sisters, and what I mean by that is a large group of believers. I have no issue referring to them as our brothers and sisters. There is a large group, and this is a growing group, and it's a growing message, who believe and teach that there is not a material cost to following Jesus. In fact, we should expect a material benefit. 
Now, I know you're going 10 different directions right now. Stay with me. Track with me here. When I talk about material benefits, what I'm referring to specifically is material possessions, material comforts, material security. And the message is that following Jesus will lead to material advantage, material benefits. Another way of saying it, and this really gets to the heart of this message, is that God's commitment to provide you with material benefits will never be compromised or jeopardized by a greater purpose or a greater benefit. In other words, God will never be doing anything that will cost you, that will net you a deficiency of material benefits. And the rationale is this, if I am a son or daughter of the king of the universe, then I should expect to have access to great material benefits. If I were to answer the question, what is God doing? He is caring for his children by supplying them material possessions, comfort, and security. It is not my intent to correct that message out there. I'm not trying to save the world. It is my intent to address that message here for you. It has now become its own gospel, and it is a gospel of material benefits. That what God has secured for you now in this life is a set of material benefits that none of his plans will compromise. This message is is growing and spreading across the globe. I have four issues with this message, and let me go through quickly because I still want to cover some things. Two of them are from a doctrinal perspective, and two of them are from an experiential perspective. Four problems. The first is this. I cannot find a promise of material benefits in the New Covenant. And I don't mean I can't find it in just reading through the Scriptures. I cannot find it in reading those who teach this message. It is my observation that the new covenant does not make clear promises or guarantees of material benefits, that is, material possessions, comfort, or security. In fact, Jesus seems to be unwilling to allow for a sanctified or a holy love of material benefits. And this is why, if I'm called to be a servant, which is to give away, giving away is in opposition to accumulating for myself. And I cannot simultaneously hold both as my highest commitment, right? One of them is going to jeopardize the other. 
If my highest commitment is to give, it's going to cost me when I accumulate. And if my highest ambition is to accumulate, it's going to cost me in my capacity to give. Jesus says you can't serve God and serve the accumulation of material benefits. There's no way to reconcile two as an ultimate goal, as an ultimate goal. This is what I love about teaching on this topic. There is no amount of material possessions, comfort, or security at which I can look at someone else and say, oh, they missed it. He's actually speaking to an issue of the heart. And he says, your heart cannot be simultaneously attached to and passionately devoted to both goals. And there's only one person who knows where your heart is at, and that is your creator. I'll tell you one way that I've tried over time to make an assessment of where my heart is at. If you're like me, you find it difficult to analyze your own heart and evaluate your motives, right? What is my highest pursuit? The question I ask myself is, which commitment tends to consistently crowd out the other? Does my pursuit of material benefits, whether it's material comfort, material security, material possessions, crowd out my commitments to the Lord or vice versa? For me, that helps me see my own heart. So the first issue I have is that this is not something that I can find a promise of material benefits in the new covenant. It was promised in the old covenant, conditioned upon the righteousness of God's people. And the old covenant fell apart because they could not produce righteousness even if they were paid for it. Number two, experientially, this is an argument from experience. The primary enrichment that I have seen from this message goes to those who preach this message. The main people who gain material benefits from preaching that God wants you to have material benefits are the people who are preaching that you should have material benefits. And they travel all over the world, places like where I grew up where an average daily income is in the ballpark of a couple of dollars. And they're the only ones leaving more wealthy. Number three, and this is another argument from experience, it doesn't seem to me that any of the first generation of believers walked in this reality. If this is true, if the gospel is a promise of material benefits, somehow, literally the entire first generation of the church missed that message. Because not only were many of them at different times destitute, they were slaughtered for their faith. Most of them did not survive the first generation of the church.
Number four, oh, sorry, I'll add to that, not to mention that most of the believers currently on the planet do not walk in this reality. There are hundreds of millions of our brothers and sisters right now across the face of the earth who are under threat of their own lives, their own safety, their own security, of losing all of their possessions for one reason and one reason alone. Because they profess the name of Jesus Christ. Number four, doctrinally, it seems that the New Testament predicted something else the writers of the New Testament. Let me read to you a few scriptures, Acts 5.41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. 2 Timothy 1.8, join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. 2 Timothy 2.3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. Philippians 1.29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 1 Peter 2.20 and 21, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it patiently, endure it, this finds favor with God, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example Romans 8, 17, of children's heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him. Philippians 2, 17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. What is the suffering that we're called to? It's the suffering of giving my life away rather than accumulating for myself. I'm embarrassed to admit to you that some of the most intense moments of suffering in my life have been sticking firm to my commitment to give blessing to my wife when I don't feel like I've received enough of it. Oh, the agony. It's like dying, right? The suffering that we're called to is the suffering of forfeiting benefits that I could hold on to and instead giving them away to others and providing them to others. That's what we've been called to. And this is, now I want to talk about the impact of this message because this is where... This is where, honestly, it stabs me in the heart. In all of the conversations that I've had in the last 10 years of pastoring this church with individuals who I would say are either wandering away or running away from their faith, there's one theme that is more predominant than all the others, and it is this. My goodness or my righteousness, my faith, did not purchase for me the material benefits that I thought it was going to.
And that person in that moment in desperation looks to God and says, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I thought if I followed you, you were guaranteed to provide me with these things. And what happens is one of two things. Either people develop resentment against God or they abandon their faith entirely because what is the value of faith if it has not secured me the benefits that I desire more than anything else? The transformed believer desires union with Christ and an opportunity to join with Him more than anything else. Our calling is to be a life poured out, not a life piled up. When I watch church leaders beg for money on the premise of promised riches, placing the weight of God's plan on your money. If you would just give this, then God would be able to do this. It's embarrassing. It's heartbreaking. And if I'm being honest with all of you, quite frankly, it ticks me off. And the impact on me personally is I never want to talk about money in the context of church. Honestly. Because the whole topic has been so corrupted. It's become so central of a focus. And it's become so central of a focus with a group of people who have more money than anyone on the planet. And yet, God has called me, Aaron Weiser, to join with him in his rescue mission, and I join him by serving others. Of course, you are those others, and one of the ways that God requires me to serve you well is to call you to a life of generosity. You know, for all Paul's talk of suffering, you would think he would be a pretty sad, depressed guy, right? Philippians 2, or sorry, Philippians 4, beginning in verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I have. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all of these things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction, not because I'm after the gift itself, but because of the profit which increases to your account, because it's good for you to be generous." What's the secret of uh, Paul's contentment? How do you serve in every context? 
How do you give your lives away in every context and remain contented? Romans 8.18, this is again Paul speaking. For I have considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So you have to pay a price. So it costs you. You lose something. You give it away, whatever it is. Do you think there's a formula that can adequately convey the disparity of value between those things that you gave away and what you will receive in Christ, through Christ, for eternity? He says, I don't even know how to come up with a comparison of the two. If you could see the disparity, I think all of us, if I could see it more clearly, I would be more rapidly blessing others, taking on the form of a servant. I'm going to land with this passage, and I invite the worship team up. This is actually the passage I came here to share with you this morning. Here's my sermon. You ready? I'll let Paul preach it. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. What Paul is saying is that if you were to, if you were to sort of get your mind around all of the benefits of knowing Jesus, and you were to segment those benefits that'll be in eternity away from those benefits that are just experienced in this life for following Jesus, and those are all the benefits you have, your life is kind of a joke, is what Paul says. If all you have are the benefits now of knowing Jesus, you are of all people to be most pitied because we as believers, as followers of Christ, following as his footsteps, have not pursued the material benefits that enslave so many, but we haven't pursued a greater benefit, a greater joy, a greater love. And we do so by giving our lives away now. I have a brother and sister-in-law who live in Papua. They are reaching an unreached people group on a mountaintop in Papua, Shelly and Craig. Some of you know them. Some of you have met them. It's about a 10-year process of training and development to get them to the place where they could preach the gospel to this people who has not heard. And they preached the gospel and a large segment of the village came to Christ. And Christ is transforming their affections, transforming their hearts. And the leader of a neighboring village saw this, was threatened by it. And so when my sister and brother-in-law, Craig and Shelley, left their home to go out of the tribal location into the city for a week. Their house and all of their possessions were burned to the ground. Everything that they owned was destroyed. They have four kids. Their oldest, Jade, is, I think she's like 13. Of course, there's a lot of emotion 
with all of that, right? She said to her parents, I guess we're really missionaries now. We've been called to give our lives away and join with Jesus and his rescue mission on the earth. Would you stand with me? We have a couple of ways that you can respond. Respond by taking communion, which is just a tangible affirmation of our union with Christ, our dependence upon him. You can respond by giving, that is walking in obedience by being generous. Um, you can respond by receiving prayer over here. If you have any need of any kind and would like someone to pray with you, uh, they would be glad to pray with you. And we're going to respond uh, in worship together. Before we do that, let me pray with you. God, I know that you know our need. And I know that you have blessed us. My prayer is that we would not become so attached to the many blessings we have received from you that we hold on to those at the expense of being a blessing as we follow in your footsteps. That you would do the impossible and transform our hearts in all of our relationships through all of our labor to pursue the blessing of others and that we would experience your presence towards that goal. In Jesus' name. Thanks, team. I told you when I started this morning I was going to leave much of the legwork for you to do. And this is a challenging task for us. This morning on my way here to church, I used my material possessions to purchase me a latte. And I will never apologize for that. I enjoyed that material benefit immensely. That's why I'm smiling right now. Has God said that we should not enjoy his material and benefits? Has he said we should not pursue them? He has said we should not serve them because they will never satisfy and will compromise our capacity to find our highest enjoyment in knowing Christ, being found in him and joining with him. You'll have to figure out what that looks like for your life, your relationship with the Lord. It's been good to be with you this morning. Uh, a couple of quick reminders. Uh, we do have some signups for some different classes that are happening. You can buy uh, tickets for the banquet uh, on the app. You can also check out the schedule for the missions conference next weekend. I do want to mention, you've seen the last couple of weeks, just for the month of October, we have some sweatshirts over here for sale. Any profits going from the sale of those goes to our youth missions and outreach account to, for them to be able to travel. Um, house churches are happening tonight, junior high, senior high youth group. And we officially end at 1230. So if you can stick around, help clean up, that's a huge blessing. God bless you, keep you, you're dismissed.